This is the Winning Plays Podcast on the CLNS Media Network, the leading online provider for the NBA's winningest franchise. Right, welcome back to another edition of the Winning Plays Podcast. It is off-season mode time, and my name is Brian Robb, joined once again by Ryan Bernardoni. Make sure you're following him on Twitter, at DangerCart. To, um, we'll get Ryan's thoughts, final thoughts on the finals at some point here, since we, uh, we haven't been able to catch up with him since then. But uh, it is officially two weeks away from July. So, Ryan, I think we're going to start out talking about the thing everyone wants to talk about here. We have some breaking news this afternoon. Who is on the Celtics Summer League roster? And it, there's, I mean, Sam Hauser, Yamadar, um, Malik Fitz. Broader, there's a lot of names here to break down, right? Where, where do you want to start? Well, I mean, I think that's the natural place to start. They've they uh, obviously went to the finals, not just of the regular season, but also last year's summer. Oh, very coin. They have experience now and a lot of things to, to build on for this year's summer. I didn't even know they had released the roster. I, I, no, this is yeah. So Boston, Boston Globe, Adam schedule, back. But... Yeah, not it's not not official yet, but uh, Austin Age told uh, Adam Hummelsbach this afternoon, just now, just breaking that we have we have a, a number of names on the roster so um yeah keep keep in tuned for that and you, like you said like i mean what a what a pull by you knowing this is a finals team last summer league having that in the memory bank what uh, a magical summer league run and then it kind of ended like the the nba finals did for them with them absolutely falling apart um just couldn't score just couldn't score <laughs> <laughs> so we could could have predicted this could have saved ourselves a lot of trouble could have predicted this 10 months ago um all right let's actually get to the real meat and potatoes here of the offseason there is a lot going on none of it will involve or very little of it will involve the likes of sam hauser and yamadar and company we'll get to them later we'll talk about them later in july when we actually uh run out of stuff to talk about here but uh the nice part about going to the finals ryan um is not not a lot of downtime get right into the the offseason mix here uh draft is thursday free agency is a week from thursday and the Celtics have to be busy. And I kind of want to start off with you had a great um, offseason manifesto on your blog that everyone should go check out if you haven't yet. But um, I think the, the most interesting I want to throw around to start here is, you know, the, the, the big trade exception the Celtics have, the $17.1 million Evan Fournier exception, which has a shelf life of uh, July 18th here. And so my question to you, just to start here of, you know, we can talk about Holly Green using stuff, but. How does how does that timeline kind of factor in how the front office should kind of navigate this week in the start of free agency here? Are you are you pro being, you know, use it faster? So or waiting things down for agency um, and to see what other shoes could drop and what guys might become available. But knowing you also have the risk there of, you know, you there is teams can kind of hold that leverage against you. I think the model they used last year is the one that would ideally be what they would be able to do again this year, which is that you strike early with your, your trades. And that sort of sets you up for your free agency where there's additional parties at play, obviously with the players having, having more agency in there and not just a a question of the teams being involved. Um, And so that lets you sort of identify what's left to do, right? Because they could use that trade exception for a wing or a big or a point like, right. They can use it across the board positionally, and so if you're able to get the player that you want with it before free agency even opens, then it sort of answers the question of what are we looking for with the, you know, with the mid-level and are there any other moves that we need to make with our other trade exceptions, things like that. But, right, it's a trade. The other teams have to be out there willing to, to move as well. Uh, normally, you, as I think 
everybody listening to this understands has gone through off seasons before, like there's a flurry of stuff at the draft two days from now. So, you know, it may be that it's used that soon, uh, but there are players who are could fit into the trade exception, not that many of them, but there are players who could fit into the trade exception before this league year ends that maybe couldn't once the year rolls over, there's things like that to, to consider, but just from a sort of nuts and bolts, right? Like the earlier you can get your trade exception work done, the more time you have and the more options you have for how to use your other tools, which are not, you, there aren't a ton of them, right? This is not a season where we're talking about opening up cap space and how are you going to, you know, different players who need to be re-signed and are free agents. It's a pretty straightforward, like you've got three or four tools that you have to work with here that need to be, um, you know, need to be turned into something to help build on a, a highly successful year. Uh, so I think it's pretty straightforward in, in that. And just the faster you can work, the the sort of slower you can work on some of the, the smaller things that um, you can benefit by being more patient with them. Right. And yeah, I mean, the, the, the domino effect around the league will be fascinating on that front as we get into the draft and the lead up to free agency. Obviously, a lot of player options need to be decided upon, though we love plenty of wheeling and dealing at the draft itself. The Celtics probably won't be involved in a lot of that unless they can kind of shoot them source, shoehorn themselves in um, with one of these trade exceptions. Um, but it is, I, I look at it kind of two ways, like the getting the, the, the trade done first, obviously opens things up for you there. I also wonder too, if you, you know, if you get to free agency and you find out you can, you can fill a need or two on the cheap with, you know, maybe becoming a, you know, maybe you're slowly becoming a, a more attractive destination here for veterans that see themselves as, you know, a, one of the players or two that this team might be away from, from winning a title. I do wonder from that standpoint, if that also could help you better inform how to use that trade exception. Um, if you kind of waited out a little bit from that standpoint, but then you get into the, the problem of, you know, having to work closer and closer against that deadline. And I think the closer you get to that, I think teams could theoretically try to use that against you for leverage, knowing that you are really limited in terms of how else you can uh, add to this team. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not saying that they have to use it before the league year rolls over. They have to use it the draft or something like that. There's also the sort of period at the beginning of free agency where you have different teams that are trying to move different players that maybe they weren't originally intending to move, but they've just, you know, realized that right. they have the ability to sign another player where they do need to open space or where they're making a trade and the trade is spinning out. And now you've got three, four, five teams involved and you can use that you know, that trade exception in a way that maybe you didn't expect to. So it's not to say like you have to go and use it right away and that there won't be opportunities if you don't. It's more like you identify similarly with what, what you probably do with the MLE. It's like you identify the two, three, four guys. who You think like these are the, the ones that we would use it for right now and not wait for anything. And we're going to go. And obviously these conversations are all ongoing between the teams anyway. It's not like I'm saying, you know, you've never talked to these teams before, but you go and say like, you know, do you want to move right now? Is This is our offer. This is our good offer that we're willing to do right now. Um, and so you act fast. And then if those things aren't possible, if the other teams just say no, which is usually what happens, then, you know, you have to be a little bit more patient with it. But you do get to the point where it's, right, the 16th, the 17th, the 18th, and it's like, okay. Um, and that hasn't always been bad for the team either. Like, they were able to get Josh Richardson last year, right. turn that into Derek White. Like, things can work out even, even if you do get down to a deadline. Um, but they are in a situation where it's like, they don't have a ton of ways to add, a, you know, to add significant more salary and more talent. This is not the only way. It's not just this one trade exception. They could package players together and not be a trade exception plus pick sort of thing, but, but make a more traditional trade for sure. Um, so, you know, it, it's not like it's do or die here, but um, if there's 
a couple of players who, who are out there and they think these are the guys we want to go get, then obviously it behooves them to, to act quickly on those uh, and then and then figure everything else out just to get the biggest, you know, the biggest business out of the way. But um, right. that that's not, I don't think anything earth shattering in terms of an idea of how to operate, right? That's like I said, sort of what they did last year and it worked out, worked out well in the end. Yeah, you'd think they maybe, at the least you have something on in like on the back burner of like, okay, if all else fails in the next few weeks, um, we know we can make this trade on the 15th or whatever. Like, or we know that team's looking to dump salary and they'll like, we can at least take that salary into that spot. Um, and you obviously hope it's someone that's useful too, but you just something to keep that, you know, window alive. And, but to your point, the sooner you do that, the better. So let's, um, let's start from the draft here and then we'll get into free agency stuff. You, and as well as potential trade targets that, um, we hit on some of the ones you um you like the most and thinks different possibilities we could hit on. Draft night here on Thursday. Celtics have the 53rd pick. That probably is not going to be seeing the light of day this year. What do you do we feel like this is a maybe an opportunity to, you know, you maybe you trade up into the the 30s or something like that with some cash and maybe try to get, you know. Uh, you know, getting guys under contract long-term right now is very important for a team that has limited flexibility here. So you wonder, I wonder here if they will at least try to get a little aggressive with that as well as any other, you know, bigger deals that pop up involving players and trade exceptions for future cap capital here. But do you see any value in terms of stashing a guy like that, that like, you know, experienced college guy that could help you right away theoretically in that range? Or are you more of the mind like, Hey, let's, let's play. We have a bunch of guys to develop already. Let's like play the veteran game and not like waste roster spots at this point on young guys. Well, first of all, I don't, I don't actually know if they have cash left to spend this year. I don't remember. What oh, that's a good point. Yeah. They, 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 they may spent have a lot of it. spent all their cash. Uh, and they don't have a ton of like sort of fringy talent guys who are maybe at the back end of the roster who other teams might have an interest in and they just didn't play. Aaron Neesmith? That's the one, right? But like, I think I don't think that's what you're talking about in terms of trading no. Neesmith to get there. You're talking about more, could you take the 53rd pick and $2 million and get to 38th and right. then go? And what sort of happens in there is that that is always worth at least investigating because like go and take, the, go and look at the big boards of any 10 different people who pay a lot of attention to the draft. And what you're going to find is that for every one of them, there's somebody who's 15th or 18th or whatever on their board who's available at 40. It's just the way it works. Once you get past a certain number of early picks, everybody has a guy that they like who's up in that range. And so the Celtics may have somebody who they could get at 40 who's 15th on their board. Now, the difference between 15th and 40th in the draft for any individual person, you know, in terms of the sort of composite of everybody that may have a bigger difference but in any one person they just should not trust themselves well enough to think that they're like that good in the draft but teams always do they so you may be able to go up and get somebody like that but yeah i i just don't think that they have the playing time for that player i don't think they have the cash to do it necessarily though again i, I don't remember and i have to go and look or, or the assets to to really see that they would want to do it although in brad stevens press conference today i know he mentioned draft and developed as, as part of what they want to do which is funny because he's traded away draft <laughs> at this point um but this is a team that has sort of set a very shallow rotation and so there are back end of the roster spots that you could dedicate to that type of player there are obviously two-way spots um so it's not a terrible idea there is another thing of it that 
in like the real nuts and bolts of it, where is if they're going to spend deep into the luxury tax, there are tax benefits to having drafted players right. at the back end of your roster. And that might just be Madar or Begaron or I don't ever know how to pronounce his name um, or who they pick at 53, or if they were to go up and say they've worked out something with an agent where there's a player who they can draft at 38, but who's willing to sign for the minimum. Uh, and it's a player who they think is the 20th best player in the draft. Like you can very quickly have that work out where it's like, oh, okay, there's a couple of advantages here that maybe this would be worth investigating. But, you know, it's it's not a big night for the Celtics at the draft, to say the least. It's it, it's the trade front is probably more and things like, oh, does John Collins get traded? And what does that open up in terms of who, where he gets traded and who else becomes available? Are the Celtics involved in that type of thing? Like that type of trade and, and a bigger item is probably more pertinent to where the Celtics are right now than like, are they going to pick 53rd or are they going to sell the pick or are they going to move up to, you know, 38? Yeah. Cause uh, with, there's only like these windows where a lot of teams are open to dealing and you can there again, a lot of the, the money is, is easier to move at this time of year when guys are in a contract. So they, I mean, the important thing with this trade exception that um, people should know is the Celtics aren't going to be able to use it for like a sign and trade and free agency. Like you're not able to, because that hard caps them and they're, they're already have too expensive of a payroll there. So you're literally only looking for guys that are already under contract for that deal. And so that's guys that can be traded on draft night. And, and just to be specific under contract for next season, correct. It's, correct. A, it's a rule. I know you know this, but it's a rule that you cannot trade guys who are going to become free agents after their season ends. So even though whatever player you, you know, I, pick one who's going to be a free agent might still be under contract at the draft. Technically they are not allowed to be traded either in that. Right. right. Like the, the window to trade those guys ended at the trade deadline, the expiring contracts, if you will. So, yeah, so that's where, again, the value of the draft night there, it's okay. Can I imagine the Celtics are going to be in conversations where it's like, okay, can we finagle our way into this deal and give up a future first and land someone that land that, fits into the $17 million exception or one of our, or one of the team's smaller ones, or even a straight up trade with one of the bigger excess salaries on the roster, like Tice or something like that. So I don't, I don't expect that to get done on Thursday, but that's certainly something to be on a lookout for if you're a fan here in terms of like, what's the first, the order of operations that are their off season. I imagine it's going to be, the phones are going to be busy on Thursday, despite the fact that they don't really have many picks to do anything with. Yeah, you said you don't expect it. I sort of do expect something on the trade front between tomorrow and before free agency opens. Now, how big of a yeah, trade? Yeah, I is, agree with I that. Before know. free agency, yeah. Right, and and that gap is only a week. Right, right. <laughs> um, and it may be that it's announced or at least strongly agreed upon, alluded to, agreed <laughs> upon at uh, at the draft itself, or it may be the day after. Like I said, you have things that are going to happen at the draft. They're going to shake up what other teams are doing. You'll have trades that get announced where the rough framework is there, but obviously, you know, the numbers don't quite match. And so something else is going to have to happen here and they'll go work it out. And with the Celtics having not just, as you said, the big trade exception, but also, um, you know, two sort of more medium sized, useful ones uh, that they could really get involved in that. And I just think that it's, it doesn't seem likely to me that all the business will happen in July. Yeah. Something will probably. Well, yeah. I mean, look how busy they were in June last year. That was like, yeah, Kemba, you had the Richardson deal. I feel you had a couple other, like the Tristan Thompson trade, like things they got. I mean, I guess it was July technically last year because of the, the weird offseason, but. But quickly, yeah. It, Brad doesn't seem like the type who is, and, and this can have 
you know, I've complained about this in other places that can have positives where he doesn't seem to be the type who's like fighting for every last nickel in every yeah. single trade. He's more, this is the player I want and I'm willing to go and get them. And, you know, if I don't get the exact deal I want, there are the benefits of moving quickly and of having stability and having knowledge about what else we need to do um, outweighs that last second round pick or pick protection being, you know, whatever it might be or, or you know, that sort of stuff. So, uh, and we'll see, we don't have a ton of history with Brad as GM. So it may be that that was just a fluke of his first year, but it does seem to be his MO where it's like, I want to move fast, um, get, you know, identify the guys who I want and, and go to get them. And I think particularly in this off season, like I said, like that would make a lot of sense as a way to operate anyway, which is part of why I'm sort of thinking like, yeah, there's going to be something here sooner than later. Um, and then the rest of it may take a little bit more time to play out from there, but uh, that they'll, you know, that they'll try to be aggressive early. Yeah. Brad doesn't seem like, an all-nighter before the midterm, like wait till the last minute guy in general. I, I imagine the when he wants to get work, whether it's coaching work, whatever, he he seems to be a game plan to guy, get it done early before late. And that worked, <laughs> that worked pretty well for him in offseason number one. This will be a different, a far different uh task now with the team's track record and you know how much are you buying into what they did this postseason run and who are you buying into um, as far as like bench contributors to the run versus where are you looking for upgrades there? But um, yeah, I, I agree. I, I mean, I might not see anything before <clears throat> or during draft night, but I, I'd be shocked if they don't, if they enter free agency having not done a trade or two, even if it's, even if it's just a deal to set up another deal, set up the next thing or prolong the length of a, a, a trade exception, something like that, that uh, kind of puts their ducks in a row for, when things start to, to move even more. Yeah. I mean, I think we're on the same page there. So we'll, all we can do at this point is, is wait and see, but um, I do think that we'll have an interesting last little flurry here. All right. Let's first hear from our sponsor, bet online. They continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. You can find all the latest sports developments, odds, and even some of the next season's future throughout the NBA postseason. Baseball is also back, so you can check out the start of the Major League Baseball season and the full MLB odds on there on a nightly basis. So it's you can do it for that. You can check out live betting on all your Vegas casino and poker games. It's super easy to get started. Head on over to the website or use your mobile device to join. Use the promo code CLNS50 to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online. It's where the game starts. And it, it'll be interesting across the entire league. I mean, there's so many things that are, and I'm not plugged in on, all across the league stuff, but there does seem to be a lot of sort of smoke going on, but in, in ways that are other than Kyrie, maybe it's a lot of sort of like secondary players and things like that, that it's um, a lot of times do spin out into being multiple players involved and uh, different trades sort of get combined together over the course of a week. And then you end up, Oh, look, that's a five, five team trade with a lot of different players and, and teams with trade exceptions oftentimes end up in there. So like you said, it may not be the $17 million trade exception. Maybe that they found a way because they have a deficit of draft picks to get a draft pick by taking on a, you know, $6 million player who's okay and trading out a second round pick and right. Like sort of balancing stuff out where it could be stuff like that as well. All of these things are open possibilities. I am not saying that I expect any, you know, any specific thing to happen other than I don't expect them to trade way up into the first round. I know that they won't be doing, or I would be shocked if they put themselves in a position to do a sign and trade or anything like that. Um, but you know how they maneuver around the back end of the draft, which of the trade exceptions they are able to use, 
who they target with the, with the taxpayer MLE. Those things, I think, will all have a pretty, you know, pretty good picture about 10 days from now when free agency opens. All right. So let's get into the roster a little bit and some of the potential offseason goals here that you're looking at in terms of prioritizing them. The, the entire rotation, the top nine or even 10 players in this team are under contract through next year. A lot of them under contract even beyond that, including the entire um, starting five beyond Al Horford, as well as Derek White. And so when you look at what they have here, is is it clear to say like the only guy in these top 10 that probably have the best chance of not being on this team next year is simply like a guy like Tice, who, who if the Celtics add a lot more salary elsewhere with one of these TPEs, like that's that's clearly a, an excess contract that you're probably willing to give up a little bit to, to get off of and uh, to, to use that money elsewhere. Uh, yeah, I mean, Tice or Grant Williams or Peyton Pritchard for sort of di- very different reasons, why, whereas we talk about trades always as being, oh, you're trading a TP, or they're where the Celtics are now anyway. You're talking about them as like a, a TP and future picks. Pritchard or, or Grant Williams, depending on who you're acquiring, could also become it's a sweetener. those trades. As, I mean, I think particularly Grant Williams is more than a sweetener at this point. Like he's shown himself to be a player who's going to be in the NBA for the next however many decade, right? Like, um, and Pritchard played in the playoffs for a team that went to the finals. Like they're not those they're, they're not second round pick values that you're that you're throwing in there. But if you just go burn out, the NBA finals tape, just don't don't yeah. put them well, in the rest of the playoffs. Games, yeah. <laughs> um, but still, I mean, there's a lot of teams that would be very happy to have players who can contribute in the second round of the playoffs. Um, <laughs> Fair. So I think that those guys have, have more value than that, obviously. But yeah, the the top of the rotation, particularly one through six, if you're assuming that, that Derek White is six, feels very, very stable. You do get some questions. Some people who are always asking, you know, can you upgrade on Marcus Smart? Do you need to go and get this kind of point guard? Are you looking to move him? That kind of thing. Um, where I, I, it just, right. We've had that conversation so many times over the years. It seems like they have no, no inclination to do that, which uh, I wouldn't either. Uh, so I'm not expecting anything on that, that front either, but yeah, you get down to there where it's like, are you moving Tice? Because what exactly is your budget? Can you use that money? You know, can you better allocate your money? Not even really this year, but like he's got enough years left at significant money. And I don't think is on the upswing of his career at this point uh, where you could say like, yeah, for a variety of reasons, you, you may want to get off Tice, you know, Tice's money now and, and look to something different at that position. But then, like I said, I mean, I mentioned John Collins, like if John Collins gets traded, then that could open up some other things around the league and different players who are moving. The Celtics could also get involved in the John Collins trade where you're talking about, again, Grant Williams as being like a part of that trade as value sending back. There are a lot of possibilities here that could happen, but that top six of the, of the rotation feels as stable as it has in forever for any team. I mean, like you said, other than, than Al, they've all got multiple years beyond this year. Um, It's not just that it's, you know, this year, and that it feels pretty stable from that standpoint. It's like, oh no, all these guys are on fair contracts for multiple years to go. They're all the right age. They're all sort of that. So yeah, it seems super stable. Right. It's just like, it's a matter of like, yeah, you have those conversations about, you know, upgrading a point guard or whatever, but then it's like, okay, what, what makes more sense? Is it using our tools to add to these guys or is it, you know, risking making a, a bigger impact move involving like, smart or horror for something like that and i think it's clear it's i imagine they're pretty clear cut there that that's the former and it's just a matter of like okay you can you're two games away from winning an nba championship 
and your bench looked pretty shallow at the end. And so you have plenty of ways to kind of help yourself on that front rather than doing anything that could really rock the boat. Yeah. And not only were you two games away from the championship, you were, uh, even though there are people who will be like, well, they wouldn't have made it through round two. You get a lot of that. Like they wouldn't have made it through round two if, if Chris Middleton were healthy and they're not, they're not this good of a yeah. team, but it's like, well, we can go the, screw. they were the best team in the Eastern <laughs> conference for like months before right. they got to the playoffs. They legitimately made it to the NBA finals and they were minutes away at the end of game four from having a, a not insurmountable, but significant lead in that series. Like they could absolutely have won the title. And the fact that they could have lost in round two, like congratulations, the bucks could have lost in round two last year, but they won the title. Like, right. um, and, and also the tenor of, again, Brad's press conference today did not sound like somebody who's looking to make major changes or who wants to you know upend the style of play that got them there. He's talking about building on this style of their defensive solidity and how they have nowhere, you know, the, the fact that they don't have anywhere that can be attacked and they want to be adding to what they have now, not, and obviously with the way that the finals went, they're looking for sort of an X factor offensive player. I think somebody that, that could do some things differently. Some of that comes from experience and having gone through it and learning from, from this, you know, what ended up stopping them in this run. Uh, but I, it didn't sound to me like a general manager who's saying like, ah, we've rid our, we've hit our ceiling and what do we do now? It sounded very much like somebody who thinks this is, you know, the first step in a, in the journey of this team, not, you know, n- not the ending of, of this group and one that needs to be broken up in any major way. So again, like there's, I have concerns about, about Al, not because I don't think he'll be good next year, but because how the team like how reliant on on him that the team is and the fact that he is 36 years old and has one year left on his deal like i think that's a big question for the franchise but that's not like an easy question to answer or one that's going to be answered or you know likely won't be answered right away here um but again like i don't think they're looking to move him right it's just they're looking to how do how do you get a younger person who can play in that role because they're so rare and so good but that's that's a different you know a totally different problem right and that's one that you want to solve this offseason, but you might have, you know, yeah, you, might, every you team, might not have the, every team wants to have, every like, team wants that. Right. right. Yeah. So that's, that's something that's just always going to be perpetually there and taking the onus off him, knowing that he's not going to be coming off a half season this year in OKC. Like they're obviously going to be depth is a clear priority. And that includes um, making life easier for him. But I mean, you, you wrote about some goals here. Um, and so in my mind, the top one, like you could debate, you know, the, the veteran point guard versus, um, you know, the, the hour placement to me, like the number one, and I'm curious about your take on too, is just like, just the wing. I feel like in the final specifically, like the fact that, oh yeah, there, there's really not a playable wing off the Celtics bench became really apparent against a Warriors team that had a bunch of those guys that really, you know, played some of the best defense we've seen all year on, on the Celtics in that spot. So is that, is that your top priority? If you're Brad Stevens during the off season, just to find someone to not only take the onus off Jalen or and Jason, but also maybe be a guy that could, you know, go in as a stretch for in lineups and, you know, maybe take some of the onus off out too, if um, in certain parts of the game, if, if they want to keep his minutes down. Yeah. I, so in my off season thing, I wrote that like the number one priority is replacing Al, but like, you're not going to be able to do that. Um, because I think that is the number one priority for sort of the long-term construct of this team, where you've got all these players who are 23 to 28 years old and, and Al's the one who's not there. So like 
But again, that's not a, like a realistic thing. There just aren't Al Horfords out there. Um, I mean, I've been crying for two years now about how they the, the number one priority is a big wing who can take the pressure off of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown in, in multiple ways. The first one of those ways being the regular season that you, Jason has played too many minutes over the last three, three seasons, not really three years. Um, he's played by far the most in the entire league when you include the playoffs. Uh, he's played the Olympics in there. Jason or Jalen is 10th in the league in minutes. Marcus is 20th in the league in minutes over those same three years. They have played too many minutes. And for their long-term health, that's important to cut down on that. But also I think you saw in the playoffs that they were tired. Like the, the Warriors had a weird confluence of being the older team and the more experienced team, but also the healthier and fresher team because their big burst of really good play came early in the season and they got healthy sort of throughout the year. By the time you got to the playoffs, they were the team that looked healthier and, and fresher at the, at the end. And the Celtics looks kind of tired and worn out. And I, I don't think it's a coincidence that the Celtics best player played an enormous minutes load over the last couple of years. Uh, and so a wing is absolutely critical for that. Now there's different levels of wing, right? There's wings sure. who can, can give him time off in the regular season. And then there's wings who can be on the floor in the, in the NBA finals. I would absolutely be willing to trade three first round picks, right? Two first round picks and the remainder of the 2028, you know, with the swap, whatever it might be um, in order to get like a high level wing who you can say this player can start for us in the NBA finals. Uh, and we have seen other teams go all in, in terms of draft picks on Drew Holiday and, and right. players like that in the last couple of years. And like, if I'm the Celtics, you're in a position now to like, do that, go, go and do that. Uh, but if you can't, because it, those players aren't always available. Every, every team wants them there. I do think it would still be a very high priority to find somebody who can play on the wing and hopefully be on the floor, at least through part of the playoffs, even if they can't be there in game seven of the, of the finals, at least you're not happy if they are. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I agree that that wing is and has been the number one priority. And so beyond OG, like, is there even a guy out there that is worthy of that type of offer that could be realistically available? I mean, John Collins to me, I mean, that certainly doesn't fit into the, he doesn't fit into the trade exception. Um, actually, I don't know if OG does either. He's a little bit too expensive for he, it too. He does uh, until but the it, season rolls over. Until the season, that's right. Yeah. Um, but there's really, there's not a lot of guys I think that are worthy of that home run deal. But I mean, there are a couple there that you wonder, and a lot of it will depend on what's Toronto's motives and if OG is actually unhappy or not. Um, but that's, I think you're right. I think that's like that kind of swing is called for in this situation uh, for a guy like that when it has the team control and certainly would be, would just help you in so many different ways in terms of balancing out the roster and balancing out minutes. And um, I wonder how aggressive they'll be versus that versus the less risky track of getting someone for just a first round pick that could be a solid fit, but is not going to, you know, is a bit of a question mark when it comes to the postseason. Yeah, I mean, I've been saying that they should be making these offers for, for Ananobi for a little while now. Um, I don't expect Toronto to accept it. I don't think that he's going to be moved um, unless it's for, you know, the number seven. How many pick swaps? How many unprotected pick swaps for, yeah, for I Ananobi? Mean, <laughs> yeah, and there's a limit to what you can really pay for a guy who's probably never going to be an all-star, but he does seem to be like the perfect fit for what, what the team needs. And I agree that Collins... Uh, is an interesting player to, to talk about in the target, but obviously a very different one than what you have in Horford. He's not really a wing. Um, you do get pretty quickly into other players who are like, would you trade a first round pick for them? Um, 
you know, are they in the level of Derek White where you're talking about Kevin Herter, Kyle Kuzma, and, um, you know, if, if the Suns decide that they need to cut money, which will depend a lot on what happens with Aiton, would they be willing to let Jay Crowder go, who's still a, you know, a useful player, or Cam Johnson if, they aren't going to be able, if they've decided that they aren't going to extend him because they do come to terms with Aiton and they just don't have the money? That's a guy who's 6'8 and can shoot, right, uh, and has, has played at a, a pretty high level and is already 26, even though he's only been in the league three years. Um, so there are players like that who are certainly worth would, – like would play on this team major roles into the playoffs. Um, and that would be, would be the ideal. But, yeah, in terms of the guys who are like, I'm willing to give up a huge stock of picks, it's a very limited list, which is why you call and say, like, hey, are you interested in this at all? And if they're just like, no, then what are you going to do? You move on. Um, but yeah. yeah, you keep calling, Ryan. You keep calling. Yeah, keep intensifying bothering. the talks. Intensify yeah, the talks. Keep talking and yelling a little bit louder and a little bit louder and saying this. Um, but, you know, that that's where my focus is and, and would be, you know, it has been. It's wing. And some of those guys are smaller wings, right? They're more sort of traditional threes or even twos. And I would love for it. Why was I harping about Larry Nance for so long, who ends up moving for basically a pittance to, to, to yeah. New Orleans. Um, it's because like that positional archetype is hard to find. They don't become available a lot and they're very important for a team that's built around Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. It'll be fascinating to see, you know, looking at the rest of the market, just how many of these, you know, 10 to $15 million guys that aren't, like you said, they're, they're not worth you're they're debatably worth a first round pick or not. But if there are any teams that are just wine, just, are just happy to just get them off the books and free up that money. Um, not even just because, you know, whether it's to get out of the tax or to let them do something else. It's, it's funny. Like the Celtics, that, that 48 trade exception, that's the second biggest trade exception in the NBA this offseason. So that's like, it doesn't seem, I mean, we've been dealing with, you know, Gordon Hayward trade exceptions and, you know, monster ones. This is still pretty big in the landscape of the league right now, even though it obviously can't fit close to a, a max player. So that will be, if, if you're swinging the miss on the top guys, the like how you leverage what's left there, whether it's taking back, like you said, a contract that's not that appealing, but maybe you get a pick to go along with it um, that you can use, that you can swing in a separate deal, or you just, you know, pay, maybe you overpay a little bit to get some money you think it was just a right fit um, on the wing there. So that, that debating between a guy like Herder or Kuzma, like I think Cabo Pope, I think you can make the case for all those are, or a smaller, or a, a guy that's making even less than maybe you do stuff elsewhere like Troy Craig. Yeah. Herder's the one that's the most interesting to me. Um, just because I, I think he's overrated. Um, but also he might become available just because of where Atlanta's sort of going with their right, they have a lot of money. Their roster and he, he makes a lot of money over the next four years. And while he makes a lot of money, it's like sort of Derek white money and Marcus smart money. And maybe what will become Grant Williams money, although probably not quite that much it's in that sort of range of like, we could have a whole bunch of these guys who are, who are good. And he does certainly fit a need in terms of a little bit of shot creation and shot finishing more than, more than the shot creation. He's not a bad passer. He's not a point guard, but he's not a, you know, he's not a bad passer. He's big enough where he's not, you know, he's not a turnstile on defense, even though he's not great. But I, I do think he's overrated as sort of a, does a lot of things average and has a couple things that he's below average at, but because one of the things he's good at is shooting, it makes him look like a better player. And if Atlanta has come to the same conclusion with him, they may say, okay, well, this is a player that we're willing to, to move off of for, for not a whole lot in return. And if you're the Celtics, that player isn't perfect, but 
if that that player might be the difference between winning a title and not and if it's just money and you're not giving up all your picks in the future or whatever it might be and, and right like i said i'm willing to give up lots of picks for the right player at, at this particular moment in time um but it's you know he, he's the one that i look at it's like it's possible that a couple days from now he's very available and enough of a right fit in terms of a lot of the things that brad seems to value and the way that the team is structured right now that that could make a lot of sense um even if he is like i said i think probably a, a little bit of over, an overrated player he's also young so he, you know he could just keep getting better even the last year was was kind of a stagnation for him a lot of the hawks kind of stagnated last year so different environment sort of what, what we thought with Derek white maybe getting him onto this team in this environment with this defensive structure around him and all that will cover up some of his weaknesses and and accentuate some of his positives um, so that that's a player who i certainly have my eye on yeah i agree though the hawks are definitely going to be a team to watch this week with just, just the amount of mid-level salaries they have and guys that are just redundant on there and whether the Celtics, i don't know if, you know they certainly had plenty of discussions with him this past season smart like hawks deals were definitely floated out there you know very early in the you know in the season as as possibilities so now atlanta's a, 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 a i feel like a team you want to feel you want to deal with because they're probably a team that feel like they need to make moves right now and may be willing to um you know get off some money or you know make something happen there just to, to shake things up as opposed to squeezing out the most value so we'll um we'll get more into some free agent targets like in depth next week um but you had a you had a few here in, in your breakdown that you can you should hit on quickly here if anyone you know sticks out to you most above but the rest again you, people should definitely check out ryan's offseason manifesto um which i think you, you figured out a few times just get to go to studio at a danger cart um you can get linked to it pretty easily there, but do you like anyone specifically that's like a sneaky get here more than the others? Obviously some of these guys are mid-level money. Some of these guys you hope maybe you can snag on closer veterans, veterans minimum deal. Um, and just hope that they be, you know, the end of the bench talent that uh, can eat up some minutes in the regular season to maybe help you in a pinch in a postseason series. Yeah, hard, it's a little bit hard to answer because of what we talked about before with like you want to get the trade work done in part because it tells you who you need to, to spend your limited spending capital that you have from, from the MLE. So with the team right now, we talked about how you need wings, right? Like you would be looking at wings. So TJ Warren is one who's kind of interesting because like if you can rehab him and get him back for midway through next season, then that's like he could be a player who fits in exactly with what you need and also is... Uh, you know, has been a productive player in the past, but with his injury history, it's like, do you really want to start the year having to rely so much on Jalen and Jason again? Right. Uh, but like the payoff on that, if all you're concerned with is the playoffs anyway, and if it's like, well, the way we'll handle Jalen and Jason's minutes early in the year is we'll just, we'll just rest them some and we'll just lose right. some games because we don't really care about it. Like he becomes an interesting player. Uh, if you go out and trade for a wing, then that sort of changes the, you know, who you're looking to, to use that MLE on. And so, if you have to cut a little bit of money at fourth center, I think Isaiah Hartenstein would be like a really interesting player if, if you can get him away from the Clippers, um, particularly if you have moved Tice in something else, because again, you're trying to replace a $9 million center with a five or $6 million center just to, to save a little bit of money. Um, but the, really what it comes down to to me is that the model that they followed last year was an interesting one in that they just waited and Dennis Schroeder fell to them. And while that didn't yeah. work, we thought going in that Dennis Schroeder was going to make $12 million or whatever, that he, at least he would make the, the full MLE. And so to have him just sort of fall and you're the last team sitting there with money and you get that player, 
And he wasn't the only one. There were a couple other players who were like not bad players out there at the end of the year in terms of free agency. We're like, there's not a ton of money out there this year either. There's a lot of teams that have the taxpayer MLE or that maybe for the right player could go to the full MLE, but they would rather not hard cap themselves. Like there's a lot of that kind of stuff out there where if you're just sitting there at the end, it might be that like, I don't like Kyle Anderson should make way more than that, but it's like feasible that a player like that is just sitting there and it's like, Oh, okay, well, I'm going to do what Dennis Schroeder did and I'll end up with the, you know, championship caliber team here. And I'm not going to make as much money as I want, but that it's the right place. And so I do think that there's some value in that. It's like, again, like I said, with the TPE, you, you identify the two or three guys who you would spend it on right away. And if they say no, then you just kind of bill Belichick it. Like you wait until everybody, everything plays out in free agency. And then like, yeah. And it's like whoever the eighth or the eight or $9 million guy, or maybe even the $12 million guy coming into the off season is still sitting there. And you're, you're the only person with $6 million left to offer. And you're, you're able to, to get them. And I think that's a totally reasonable way to go about it because you know, there's, the league has, there's only a certain number of roster spots and there's a lot of good players in the league right now. And you do just get to the end where there's like a couple of guys who are not really any different in terms of quality from a player who made twice as much, who are, who are going to be sitting there at the end. You just don't know who they're going to be. <laughs> and, and if you need one very specific thing, then you can't really operate that way. But if you feel better about the team and it's like, yeah, we got a wing, we still have Tice. We have a little bit of money here left to spend. We can wait it out. We don't really care what the position is. We're just looking for sort of depth then that's uh, you know also a reasonable way to, to go about it. Yeah, it's I haven't crunched the numbers yet on the free agency, like cap spending stuff for other teams. But again, I think it is, to your point, like pretty similar to our last offseason where there's not a lot of teams with you know outright cap room, and there's certainly not a lot of teams that have the full mid-level to spend, much less teams that like would want to spend that, like are not, you know, building to be, you know, playoff teams or contending teams yet. So if you find players that want to like, again, want to rebuild their value, want to be relevant, um, want to play for a winning team, like the Celtics could find themselves in a pretty, as a pretty appealing destination there in a hurry um, after the first few days of free agency. So that that's going to certainly be like the track they, that they take there will be fascinating to see along with, you know, and a lot of it will be informed by what, what happens on the trade front in that this next, you know, nine days leading into free agency in the first place and a lot of moving and shaking around the Eastern Conference. Let's, let's, let's wrap up there. Where, where, where where's Kyrie Irving uh, playing on, um, uh, on October 15th? You think this is smoke and mirrors for, I don't, I don't know if it's smoke and mirrors, but like, where is he? Failed, really failed leverage. And well, I think he has a lot of leverage because he's best friends with Kevin Durant. Like if, yeah, if KD wasn't there, then he would be somewhere else because I, I don't think the Nets have any particular interest in being in business with him long-term, but they very much have an interest in being in business with Kevin Durant. And it's kind of the reason that the Celtics went after Kyrie Irving too. It's like, oh, he's friends with a lot of really good players who are actually like the ones who matter in the league. So I, I still assume that he'll end up back there. Um, but like I, I, right. It's, if you make that, you know, you make that bed, then um, it, it's a tough, tough one to be in. Um, <laughs> but like that, actually that team. So, so some of the players I'm looking at for the Celtics in terms of the free agency are not. The reason that I think that they're interesting is because some of these teams are going to have to make difficult decisions. Yeah. The Warriors just won the title, but they had a $350 million spend. If right. Gary Payton and Otto Porter are both getting significant raises, like that's like another 
50 or $60 million of spending. Are the Clippers really going to spend as much money as they're currently projected to? Are the Bucks going to spend for Wes Matthews when they've always been a smaller market, smaller budget team? Is Bruce Brown going to look at what's happening in Brooklyn and be like, nuts to this. Like, we got Ben Simmons. We kind of play the same position. I don't know what's going on here. Like, yeah, we're just going to hurt your value by staying there. Yeah, like there are team the, the players who are interesting because they would be good fits for the Celtics, but are also interesting because we have to see what their teams decide to do in terms of not just like traditional, how do you want to build a roster questions, but about like, what are the sort of macro questions about how these teams are operating in, in, in the current NBA. And we just don't know the answers to those questions. We will, like you said at the beginning, you know, I thought it was funny that you said the good thing about going to the finals is that the, that you get to the offseason quickly, as opposed to the good thing being the finals that you went to the finals. But like, yeah, you know, the good thing about going to the final, one of the good things about going to the finals is that you do get answers to these questions pretty quickly. You know, you turn your focus to them and then like three weeks later, they're all answered. Um, so from, totally that, was like, that was a content standpoint for me. I, <laughs> yeah, I mean, stretching stretching out the offseason content, right. Yeah. Stretching out the offseason content to two months leading into the draft is can be daunting at times. Now it's like, whoa, we got to, we got to go like this is uh, no, no, no time to waste on this front. Thank God yeah. they don't have like the 15th pick and we don't need. To, like, oh, God, forget it. Who, oh, God. No. That would be <laughs> nightmare if you're just trying to figure out all the draft guys right now, much less, um, you know, 53. Instead, we got oh, we got we're going to have to really dig in on these summer league guys. Really like big summer for Broderick Thomas. It legitimately might be a big summer for Sam Hauser, although I think that yeah. the, the front office actually has some faith in him as being like a, a real part of the team next year. We'll, we'll see about that. But um no all these guys are gonna have to earn their spot though like you're even sure yeah like you know they're gonna have you know seven or eight guys playing in summer league under contract for next year on non-guaranteed deals and they're i'd be surprised if more than two or three on the roster next year yeah if that um but again we'll see how much how much faith those guys earn versus other veterans willing to come in and play for minimum money and how many guys like that the Celtics even want to begin with on this roster after really straying away from that um after the trade deadline when they had a a boatload open of open roster spots so all right that will do it for us for now we'll be back after draft night here in the wing place pod we'll we'll definitely be checking in with ryan periodically in the next couple weeks as well as we as we dive into free agency or as well as trade reaction um since as we talked about it's it's pretty busy um it's gonna be pretty busy next nine days and then things dominoes are going to start flying quickly um do you want to make a you want to make a, a prediction a trade or a, a sign prediction for fun ryan are you uh are you sticking to uh yeah. your manifesto to saying someone on that on that board no i mean like i said i think herder is the one who sort of stands out to me as like there's a lot of things there that that makes sense i don't i mean i think it's less than 50 50 if you ask me ever what any trader or signing like <laughs> i'm gonna be like well it's less than 50 50 um but i think that that's one of the trades that sort of just to sort of sitting there like, ah, yeah, that one would make, would make quite a lot of sense. Although, you, you know, from there you say, okay, there's three or four other guys who are very similar to Herder who, who could as well. But I do think that they will make a trade for, you know, 10 million or more, adding 10, adding 10 million or more in salary for a wing. Um, and I do think that that will happen at the latest on, you know, July 2nd or something. Like it'll, it'll happen before before real free agency of the terms that they're dealing with would happen. Like they'll know what they need to spend the MLE on uh, by the time that really starts to move because they'll, they'll make the trade first. Sounds like fireworks to me. 
Sounds like some big fireworks. I mean, let's give them credit for the fact that they did go to the NBA finals, which is the real no, fireworks. This is right. right. This is right. <laughs> no, no, I'm this not saying right. that to you. I'm saying that to yeah, myself, yeah, no, right? Like no, I'm yeah, a, yeah. I, I always spend so much on the off season, but like they, they made really big deals last year. They made a big in-season move that I, you know, had my, my problems with, but that, that worked out. Um, and that, they delivered on a really fantastic season. I know we didn't get to talk much about the finals, but like that, that's the fireworks you really want is to be back in the back at that level again next year. And I think that that does start with, you know, with what happens in the next couple of weeks. So that gives us something to look forward to. Getting to the finals makes, I mean, obviously getting to the championship is becomes a lot harder, but it makes a lot about this off season, just a lot easier. I feel like these are, you have, a very defined needs in a couple areas. You know what you have elsewhere. You know what guys could and couldn't do in the postseason. You also have you. You're hopefully counting on internal development on top of that. But you know you're not talking about like okay, well, should they move smart and Rob Williams for like Bradley Beal? Like no, like those 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 discussions yeah. are over and they've been can over for is no months. longer a question. Right? right. Can, can his team win the finals? Is right. no longer a question. Will they? Uh, to be determined. But that first question is the hardest one to answer. Can this team get to the finals? Yes. Can this team win the finals? Yes. So how do you close the deal on that? And how much will ownership spend to help on that front will be another big question that we'll also get an answer to in the next few weeks, but it could uh, factor in pretty greatly in terms of how much you can add to this core when they're already pretty much at the tax as is, but we'll get it. We'll talk more about that. We'll get into all that in the next week or two as uh, the contracts and the trades start flying. Ryan, thanks as always for, for hopping aboard. And um, we will be talking to you guys after the draft later this week. Thanks for listening.